Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'll take two. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. Happy Friday, a long holiday weekend. Joining us here today is Mara Carabello, of course, from the Exoro Group still today, and John Dougal, State Auditor. Uh, when you were suggested to me, you were here last week. I missed out. I listened, but I was like, Auditor? Mm, that sounds boring. <laughs> I listened, oh, oh. and you were not <laughs> as boring as I expected, so we had you back again. Well, thank <laughs> you so kidding. much. Hey, no you know, math quiz. It's always good to set the expectations low and then try and exceed I them. know. It's so, so exciting. glad you didn't trip over that curb. <laughs> and good job at being good at math and checking up on other people and all that good stuff, so it may come in handy here, but... This feels weird because that dramatic music after all this talk of the possibility of impeachment and Russia investigations, it's over with. And so we don't even have to talk about that, which is nice. So we're going to move on to other things. We're not going to talk about this, but I do want to congratulate the state of Utah for 150 years of women getting to vote. It's hard to believe, Mara, that someone way back when didn't think we should get to vote, so... I, th- I, I think there are some uh, people still around that maybe don't <laughs> think our voices are a little too loud right now. So congratulations to the women in the state of Utah for being the, one of the states that leaned in at the beginning. Like we were trailblazers. We, uh, we did amazing things. We still have amazing women elected. But one of the things I'm struck by is as I've seen all these tributes, which I found so interesting and I love the history, I will say there's a lot of black and white photos, and I want to see some more color photos on the list of accomplished women. And And I'm so proud of our heritage. We should continue to tout how Utah was among the first and that the women who expressed the right here expressed it in such a smart, deep way. We are truly pathetic still right now in our representation of women, particularly in elected office. You know, we're at about a fourth on our good days of elected officials, and I think that um, with women being the majority of citizens in the state of Utah, that if you're looking at real equality and not tokenism, and I, I, I mean, you know, we have amazing female leaders, but equality comes from not just having occasional female leaders. And so I, I think we've got some work still to do. And so as we tribute, and as I want to like dig into saying thank you to the women who blazed the trail, like I said, there's a lot of black and white photos on our Hall of Fame, and I'd like to see more color photos. So true. So, John, I was thinking about running against you as state auditor coming up, <laughs> but I'm really not good at math, hence the communications degree, so you're safe right now. But I'll think of but something give it else. a few years. Yes. Yeah, so I, can, I can help you with the math. You can. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for being here today. I was just wondering yeah. with Mara, if maybe the women are smarter and the men haven't figured out they're wasting their time on this. Know, political stuff. It could be true. I'd like more of us to be in office, and then we can we can sort of reframe the politics. And I hate to tell you, Ancestry also uh, just introduced some new technology to uh, colorize those black and white photos. Right. So you right. can get so some look at how color look at how then. well we're communicating about equality. Right. <laughs> well, I, I, think I, lo- I love <laughs> one of the <laughs> one of the newspapers back then. <clears throat> they said the plan to give our ladies the right of suffrage 
in our opinion, a most excellent one. I think that's actually a big thing back then to have said. So that's awesome. So great. Well, and the irony is this was all back then about, hey, we're going to teach those polygamists and we're going to get rid of it. And so federal government was, you know, granting the ability for the territory to give women the right to vote. And Utah was the first territory where women voted. So while we, oh, go ahead. And yet then it backfired. So then Congress took it away because what they wanted to happen out here didn't happen. And so. Women had the right, then it was taken away, then it came back with well, statehood. That it was whole just kind of this breaking weird federal law, I think, got a little in the way of get in the way of it. That whole part where we weren't adhering Overreaches to federal the law. the Constitution, yeah. So <laughs> while we're talking about women and equality, and yeah. and let's just continue to use the phrase "giving us things," even though I have to perhaps air quote a little bit with well, that. Maybe, maybe it was men getting out of the way. ERA, yes, is such a hot topic again. Um, and we had a big week this week. That's right. And the House actually voted on that. Interestingly enough, it was mostly along party lines, except for there were five Republicans who voted with Democrats to get rid of the deadline for the ERA so it could pass again. And uh, Utah's John Curtis was at the top of the list there. Uh, surprised by that, anyone, that he was willing to go with the Democrats? Uh, I was surprised by that. I, I didn't expect that. I do think there's some confusion about you pass something with a two-thirds vote, so how can you amend it with a majority vote? And other states have taken away their th- their approval of it, so does it stand? And I know uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, Justice Ginsburg has basically said folks should just do it again to make sure it's clean and there's no questions. Which is an interesting note. Chris Stewart actually said that and said maybe we should start from scratch, Mara. We actually had a story a few weeks ago on the air here, and there were some women who were protesting saying they didn't want the ERA passed, and I was trying to figure out why they wouldn't want it passed. But when you look back to when it was written, there was some weird wording, too, where it's like, maybe we should start from scratch. People chest feed. Yeah, it's so... breastfeeding. Like, so let's say so the words. let's do both. So I feel a little bit like when... Um, our friends right of center and the Republicans are saying, let's start over. There's a scotch of, they, they, <laughs> of, of wolf and sheep's closing there for me. And so what I say is, you know what? Let's ratify the current ERA as um, half of our delegation has suggested. And, in, and I, I think what we all hopefully agree on is until uh, women are enumerated as equal in the U.S. Constitution, which, you know, I, we should note that they're enumerated in the Utah Constitution, but until they're enumerated, uh, we don't have our equality protected. So I say let's, um, let's do both then. If, if you're concerned and you're quite earnest, let's ratify the original and, and then let's amend, as with all lawmaking, let's amend and update and uh, continue forward. I'm going to give an asterisk to those who want to use Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who I think we all agree is the champion of women's rights, in that she is also interpreting some um, laws that in which she feels like these have been enumerated at other Supreme Court levels. There are many people, including Christine Durham, the former um, chief justice for the Utah Supreme Court, who who disagree with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's interpretation and doesn't think they were intermediate. So it's more complicated even that Ginsburg is just, she's not wholesale dimis- dismissing the ERA. She thinks it's antiquated, but she also thinks those perse- protections were afforded. And that's up for question. So for those of us who think that equality is undeniable and we shouldn't be squabbling about the words, why don't we do it all? Why don't we ratify the original to cross that T and dot that I? And then if along the way we want to follow that quickly or in tandem with um, new laws, let's do that. So will the well, Utah legislature do it, John, do you think? Uh, I don't think so. I, I'm not sure. Why? But, uh, well, I think there's too many questions. I, I read uh, 
Ginsburg's comments much more about the process and saying we're going to prove something that's now going to be in question whether it actually passed or not. That's where I understood her saying start over just with a clean slate so we get rid of all the questions about can you delay it, can you delay it with a majority vote, what if these states have pulled back their approval, can they pull it back, can they not, just do it clean from scratch. Because we're talking about something that happened in the mid-70s. So here we are, many decades past, with a lot of uncertainty. So and, th- and the court, I think, is recognizing if there's questions, it's going to get dumped at their feet, and they probably don't know how to answer it. So I think John's totally right about the attitude of the Utah legislature, and they're going to rest it on process. One of the things I would point out to this the same Utah legislature is this is the same group of guys that routinely like message bills that they know will be challenged as constitutionally questionable and they don't have a problem like recalling with that. a U.S. senator for example uh, like that or like a, a number of right. different it, positions it, 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 we have on abortion <laughs> and so I would say to these same that they lack credibility since message bills are flowing this year for them to suggest that they never vote on anything unless it's it's uh, constitutionally clear for them does not has seemed that much credibility for me. All right, so we'll watch that one um, carefully. Uh, this already seems like a year ago, but the New Hampshire primary happened. When we talk on Fridays, in, in we the actually got politics, a vote a shortly after ago. they did it. I know, wasn't that amazing? After the <laughs> Iowa caucus, I was like, "Woo, how fun is this? Have the Iowa results come in yet? I don't even I don't know, know that the, the final point. numbers are here. And um, are we surprised by the winners and losers here? I mean, when I have been talking and looking at what happened, I really thought that Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren would really be in the lead just coming out of the gates. And they are not in the lead. They're almost at the bottom of the tier right now, Mara. Right. So it's twofold. It's interesting how the initially strong candidates, particularly Joe Biden, has fallen away. Equally interesting is who's leading the pack. They're not exchanging it for another monitor like Klobuchar, who is seeing some momentum going forward, or even a Buttigieg. We've got Bernie back again. So as someone Feel who, the burn, baby. Ooh, I I, it, it hurts. The burn hurts <laughs> oh. me. I, I'll tell you, as someone whose mantra is anybody but that fool Trump, I am, I'm a little worried about <laughs> Bernie. And, and I, so I say they're actually... <laughs> <laughs> they're from the Mattis Hell Caucus. You know, they're different sides of the same exact coin. Right, and so I'm. I, it's an interesting thing to be staring at a Bernie um, Trump decision. So I think the outcomes of replacing these front runner, well, Warren's not a moderate, but certainly replacing Joe Biden with Bernie uh, really gives a tip of the hat to Mike Bloomberg, right, who decided well, to skip the early states. And yeah, I never would have guessed that in New Hampshire you'd have Biden and Warren when you add together their totals, would be less than Klobuchar. Right. I, I know, because I didn't give her, like, the time of day. I don't know what it is about her, but I just didn't think that she was connecting with people. She obviously is. She's surging. Yeah, yeah. she is. So let's then move to, like, where we might matter this year, right? So the first time in a long time, we're part of the 14 states that'll vote on Super Tuesday, March 3rd. And... Uh, of the total Democratic delegates needed will be decided on Super Tuesday. So that ain't nothing. And so when people are saying about the math and who has to win, how much do you have, can Bloomberg come in from behind after having started very unconventionally, give or take a billion dollars later, Um, but... He he's money helps in, in process. money helps money it helps does. in politics, but you know Super Tuesday that's a big chunk of delegate votes for the Democratic candidates. So well, John, do I you think see jo- Bloomberg taking some of the conservative votes here because there are some who still are not in love with Trump. And Bloomberg was a Republican, so he's sort of like the Romney of the Democrat Party that people would say right now. He probably is a lot more centrist 
if people want to cross the line. He's more centrist. Um, I don't know if he'll take the conservative vote, but he'll potentially, if he got the nod on the Democratic side, take those that are concerned with Trump and looking for somebody other than him. Um, I think many of them might go to third-party candidates or just not vote in that race. But I do know there's some Republicans, clearly there's many Republicans that love what Trump's doing. They don't necessarily like his approach and his style, but his policies they generally like. But there are some that are just going, uh, can I vote for somebody else? And Bloomberg provides them possibly that choice. Remember, there are more unaffiliated voters and Democrats than there are Republicans in the great state of Utah. Yeah. But, you know, here's the funny thing. I mean, Biden, I think folks thought he's going to be the front runner, everything else like that. I personally think Biden's campaign's over. I mean, he may not recognize. I don't think South Carolina is going to make it and, and put him back on top. I think he's done. Yeah, he's not looking good in Nevada either. And interestingly enough, as much as people wanted to see maybe a conservative voice there, he wasn't connecting with people. Mm -hmm. He had missteps, which is weird because I really thought he'd be the front runner. What I didn't see happening, though, is in this election cycle this early on, seeing someone who, whether you want to argue that he's a socialist or not, but Bernie Sanders is very far left. And then we've got Pete Buttigieg, who's the first, I think, major party candidate who's openly gay, married. And that's a big deal even for Democrats. Who's only run a city of 100,000 people. Yeah, and even two elections. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the enormous uh, elected official experience that President Trump has, sure. I mean, there's, you know. That's right. Oh, that's right. He didn't do anything (laughs) before. He was elected. Yes, but I guess it shows where we've come as a country because Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, (laughs) are both um, anti-gay marriage. I mean, even looking back a couple election cycles, so. It's interesting how this country turns. So yeah, we'll be watching this good, all yeah, closely. Very good. Yeah, uh, one thing that's interesting this week, too, is Stewart's been named, Chris Stewart, our congressman, on different short lists along the way for President Trump. Um, he's being named right now for a possible intelligence gig. Uh, he said that he's focused Director on of work. National Intelligence. Yes. It's not just a little gig. Yes, this is, is a, big, a big, big, big deal. He makes it sound like he's not interested. Is he interested, John? Um, I can't say whether he... He's, <coughs> excuse me, if he's interested, if I were offered the job and I were in his position, I'd accept this is a huge honor. This is a huge responsibility. This is the front line when you deal with the war on terror and everything else and China and Russia. And Chris is very capable and very qualified. He sits on the House Intelligence Committee. And so, therefore, I mean, he's, he's right there. And this it, is something that if it's offered to him, I do believe he'll accept. There's one qualification, I think, that's being screened for this position. Do you and support the president? Is that what you're going to say? Do I blindly and completely support the emperor? And am I willing to tell him that his new set of robes look fabulous today? And I think that is the singular qualification right now for holding this security job with the president. And so I'd, and I think one of the reasons they're having such a hard time slating senior positions, this is also the person responsible for doing the daily briefings, which Trump has continued to say I could care less about. Data's not my thing. And the one interesting thing about the position is, you know, it was formed after a 9-11. It's enormously powerful in some ways, but it doesn't have a budget. So in many ways, it's the coordinator between these other behemoths. And so I agree it's Seven, a... Tr- 17 intelligence agencies. Yeah, but, absolutely. But you have Coming no out budget, of 9-11 and... Right, yeah. you have no budget. So you have no down ballot. You have no ability to, to control. So it's, it's both a big position, and if you're in the security world, not. But more importantly, again, what's the number one qualification that Bush's... Or that um, Trump is looking for. And I think it is blind loyalty. I think they're looking for someone that uh, he's always looking for someone who will shill for them. And I think it's been hard to find people. If we look beyond that, though, is he qualified for the job? He served in the Air Force. I think he was actually considered possibly for the head of the Air Force a while back. 
is it something that maybe he could step into this role and really take charge and maybe get the president to listen after um I'm going to stick with my obstinate him? position. I'm going to stick with the fact that we've had uh, unqualified and qualified people in the Trump administration. And I think when he was first elected, you saw a good deal of patriots saying, I'm going to go in and shape this person. I think what we know after three years, love him or hate him, what we know about him is he is where he is and he wants what he wants. And what he wants is blind loyalty. And he's operating as, a, as, as trying to get a disput and he's fundamentally un-American in this. And so do I still think qualified patriots need to be as close to him as possible? And do I think good people are trying to shape this man into something palatable. I do, but I still think you're in an inherent conundrum in which I do not think he's allowing qualified people to give him data, particularly in the military circumstance. This is the first president that we've seen that has um, openly and publicly disagreed with his military advisors when they're basing it on data. Well, and I'm going to disagree a little bit there. First of all, I think Mike Lee and President Trump have a good relationship, but we see regularly where Mike Lee takes a position that President Trump doesn't appreciate. And yet they still have a good relationship. He's an independent elected. He's not an, ab- he's well, not an appointee of the, okay. the president. And then if you go back to the next question, which is, is he qualified? Absolutely. There's many folks that have been on the Intelligence Committee in the House that, that tout Chris Stewart's capabilities there. And so, yeah, I think that would be a, a, a great position if he were to be offered it. And I do believe he'd accept if offered. All right. We're going to watch that one closely. Uh, Talking about the gubernatorial race right now, last week you guys talked about the fact that Huntsman um, already teamed up with the lieutenant um, in Provost Mayor Kafusi. This week, uh, the big talk is that Cox was the first to get the 28,000 signatures in, which is a big ask of anyone, and he got it quickly. John, let's start with you. Do you think that this gives him any... uh, move forward? Does this mean that he really has that grassroots effort there to get him through to the end? Because he's been lagging in some of the last polls. So so one thing to clarify, he didn't get the 28,000 signatures. He turned in a little over 29,000 signatures. They still have to be verified, validated. Yes. I'm going to assume he's still going to have to turn in even more signatures just to make sure he clears that official 28,000. And so this is an indication that, yes, he's got a lot of signatures collected. Many of them will likely be qualified, but there's still more work to do. So for his team of volunteers, yes, this is a little uh, victory, a little celebration right now, but there's still more work to do on the Cox campaign. And part of the problem is everyone has to get their own signatures. You can't double up. You can't sign for a couple of people. And there are a lot of candidates this time, Mara, who are going for these signatures. Does this get harder for the other candidates who are still gathering to find someone who hasn't already committed? It really does. I mean, I think it's a smart win for the Cox campaign to just be the first one in to, if you will, mark that they're, they're his. I mean, I agree with John that there's still some qualifying. But, but the first one but in is the who The first counts. one in gets, in many ways, not only do you the second one in has to qualify and check against the first one, and the third one has to qualify and check against the first and second. So smart move. Um, I think one thing that Cox did, uh, Cox started his campaign significantly earlier than anyone else. Extremely early, so, yeah. So, I mean, nice that he, he can keep his storyline there. Also interesting is he went with a kind of a hybrid model where he was also looking for volunteers to raise. So I think you're going to see the Cox campaign arguing what you said, Heidi, which is, hey, we're really grassroots. Look, we had all this momentum. Um, I think he still has a problem in the polling. I think he still is having a problem right now identifying why he's different than Huntsman. I think they're trying to take the same lane, and Huntsman's gotten out, and Kafusi was a great pick. And and so I think that um, the Cox campaign, to me, still feels like they're having a little bit of a – a, a reset, but maybe this is the start of a reset when he gets his signatures. Well, and one of the challenges, and Greg Hughes has pointed this out at the Silicon Slopes debate, 
is at times Cox wants to claim credit for the good things in the Herbert administration, but then wants to distance himself from the things that he didn't like and you know, he, appears to be trying to play both sides tricky. of that. He's also doing the same thing, interestingly enough, in which he's trying to run as a centrist, and he's also trying to run as a true conservative. And I, and I think that those are challenges for the Cox campaign. I thought it was interesting. This really has nothing to do with politics, but I think a lot of people have been excited about him as a centrist. Even looking back to, I forget how many years it's been since the Orlando nightclub shooting, when right. he came out and he really gave that speech from the heart about um, just loving everyone and looking at this situation and just giving a great speech that I think drew people in. And he was going, I think, in the centrist direction where people were excited. And then on Super Bowl Sunday, I felt like one of his tweets was looking to make sure he was making sure people knew he was conservative enough in talking about the halftime show, which we all can have opinions on. But I I do see that struggle online when he's talking about that. Do you have a pick who his uh, lieutenant should be if he's going to line up and get in line with everyone else? Not sure yet. Do you have someone you'd like to suggest for his campaign? <laughs> I don't. I've been trying to think of, too. I think this is a really good online. I think everyone who's listening right now should send Heidi who they think should be the picks. Yeah, send me the ideas. We'll discuss them all next week. But, yeah, it makes sense. When I saw Huntsman's, I guess I hadn't thought that that's where he was going. But I'm like, okay, yeah. there's reasons why he did that, and that works. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on the legislative session because that is going on right now. We were talking about women's rights earlier, and it was making me think a little more about Deidre Henderson's polygamy bill. There's people who are definitely for it, some people who have some concerns, because just a few years ago, we were making sure that polygamists knew that it was going to be a felony if they committed it. Now, um, looking at making sure that if you're a consenting adult, it's okay, it's a misdemeanor, I think the state's going to look past it. John, is this a good idea? I do believe it's a good idea for Senator Henderson. The simple fact is the way the laws were, it was driving too many folks underground. They were concerned about going to the doctor, concerned about going to school, other things like that, letting folks know that they were in a polygamous arrangement. And and so I do think this is a good thing to try and destigmatize and and allow. There's it's still an infraction, but reducing the penalty allows families and children and and women to be safer in those relationships. Does it hurt the women of the world when you think of Warren Jeffs? Does it tie people down into relationships where they're not relationships? This is a bad bill. So one of the things I say as a female is I don't need polygamy destigmatized. I'm, I'm good to really sort of say polygamy hurts women, it, it hurts families. The other thing is we have a history that predates statehood of pretty much ignoring polygamy. So we don't have a track record, nor should we actually. I'm not arguing this. Uh, the police by and large don't arrest people for just polygamy. And they and we, we've turned a blind eye over and over again, and you can look at almost all law enforcement records, and I actually think there's a pragmatism to that. And I don't think we should have law enforcement agencies that are out looking for polygamists that are basically following the law. One of the things, though, that I think is so important is when you use the polygamy laws, it's when there are domestic violence issues and uh, child abuse issues, and when these relationships that often happen in these patriarchal communicate communities happen, particularly to women and children, I do think you need to have the teeth in your law that it's a felony, that you can take these men, like Warren Jess, like what happened in Hilldale for years, and um, are still happening in these communities. I think women particularly 
need the recourse to know that it's serious enough felony that they can maybe get these men out of their life. So I, I would argue with anybody at a practical level, these laws are only used when the man has become um, a, a threat and that we have a history in Utah of pol- ignoring everyday and, polygamy. And, and I'm, so I'm going to disagree. I mean, when I was a state representative, I had to help in a situation where a teenage girl that was in a polygamous community was assaulted by a teenager from northern Utah who came down. Um, she had met this person online and stuff. Well, after this assault, what did the local police do? Nothing. Nothing. It's because she's from that community. It was just, no, that's, that's her fault. That's her problem, whatever. Because she came from a polygamous family, they were just ignoring it. So I worked, w- I worked with others in law enforcement. This kid had then fled to Idaho, so they got him extradited back here and charged and stuff like that. I do not think it's appropriate for folks in law enforcement to look at the polygamous community and say, well, you know, whatever happens there, that's too bad, so sad, that's your problem. We need to make sure they can come out of the shadows and live in a safe community. Yeah, and I think you're referring to communities that, um, uh, like the United Effort Plan Trust, good for the state of Utah, they stepped in, they broke apart that yeah. trust. and they're, they No, really I'm, re- I'm referring to your average city. Yeah, and I think in general, it is important that law enforcement has the tools and has the teeth to protect women and children who are in these environments. And I think basically law-abiding polygamists have never, I mean, it's the rub on Utah, is that law-abiding polygamists in Utah have never been chased down. And, and so I think it's so critical that we have teeth in our laws for the abusers and polygamists um, in, in polygamous communities. All right, I guess and, I, and I think there's still teeth in this law that deals with the abuse. Ah, but it's goodness. trying to destigmatize the is other. A, this is no, a there's still felonies tickets. and other things. There's still felonies and other things involved in aspects where there's serious harm taking place. To take away and make this a transactional like, equivalent to a parking ticket is, is unconscionable. And if anyone wants to make Mara into their second wife, I don't yes, think it's going to work out probably well. Not. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. Ain't nobody wants but me. If, if anybody wife. wants to look at this, go look at Senate Bill 102 for <laughs> 102. substitute. Okay, you can read all of the information on that one. Uh, let's talk about daylight saving. That's one of your favorites. I know that this one... I hate changing time. I'm one of those people that just doesn't sleep well in the first place. So changing time makes me ornery. But getting rid of long, late summer nights, which are glorious, makes me ornery too. So what do we do? Anyone? Do we pass this? So, so Senator Harper has a bill, and he's trying to run this thing again, trying to say, let's do permanent daylight savings time. So, so rather than so many folks are concerned of let's go to standard time where you lose your nice yeah, light in the summertime, summer let's go to permanent daylight savings time. Now, what he said is, we can only do this if five other Western states with us join with us to do this. And he's also relying on folks in Congress. I think Marco Rubio is looking to run a bill to allow states to go to daylight savings time and stay there. Currently, we can either stay permanent time or we can flip-flop. And most folks I talk to don't want to change. They're happy to settle on daylight savings time or want to stay on daylight savings time. Let's just do that. Okay, but th- staying on daylight saving time, when we pass that, if we do pass that, we've got to wait for five other states, and then we have to let Congress allow it, right? So this could ha- be like decades down the road, because I think Florida passed this a few years ago, and they're still waiting to see if Congress will let them play. So 
Mara, do you want some extra sleep? Your kids are old enough I, now. I know. I feel like I want to be oppositional to this for you some can't. reason, Aww. but I don't know why. Like I maybe it's just my nature in which you like changing I want your to clock. Oppose John. I and you know I'm so I so as a, a working mother right. I've right. so ignored <laughs> my bodily needs. I've so <laughs> separated my needs from from you know what what makes me healthy and happy that maybe I don't care what time of day it is. I don't know. I want to be opposed, but I can think of no good reason. You know, it's probably sensible. You know, I do agree with Heidi. I, I some of my maybe uh, ability to get along on this one is it's so down so down the road that I don't know. I maybe we could be the domino effect for the West that they've been Let's waiting. Let's lead for. out on daylight Let's savings. Do it. Let's have this be our our mountain where we're going to plant our flag. I don't know. It might be a good our one. newly designed state flag, mm-hmm. which we should talk about. Mara, are you calling states rights? <laughs> no, <laughs> sir. I shall never. <laughs> I, know, I really don't even care about the state flag. I think the last time we talked about it, though, uh, Jim DeBacchus was here, and I was trying to ask him what he wanted. He wants something simple. I think he was thinking rainbow flag, but I'm thinking that maybe I don't know what we need. Okay, so I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Dan McKay, who we've uh, who we've yeah. spoken to, and Steve Handy, a representative from um, Layton, I believe, and they are working on a bill to change up our flag. And so um, there are some great videos online if you want to be persuaded as to why your symbol is so important. And ours apparently came from you know some shelf that goes along with Maine and somebody else. I mean, ours is apparently Oregon un- looks very unoriginal. similar to ours. You can't really tell the difference. Yeah, Interesting. so I'm, I'm ready to have an iconic thing that I want to wear on my socks and T-shirts. So Ooh. I'm saying yes. Look at California. Look at Texas. I lived in Puerto Rico for a couple of years. They love their flag. They put it on their cars, their homes, everywhere, their clothing. Who walks around with the Utah flag celebrating the Utah flag? Nobody. Nobody. It's sort of complicated. It's a lot going on too. Yeah, All it's right. a little. And cut maybe and we paste. need a formal flag, and we can have a party flag. We can have that. Let's informal just have flag the party flag. We're ready for it. We're party diverse enough for a is. party flag. Yes, that sounds so fun. Uh, I want to talk about Mara's favorite bill right now: straight <laughs> ticket voting. She thinks that you should always go in there and just click <laughs> one little button and be That's done right. with it. I love it. As as someone. Oh come who's on, do a little research, Mara. Center, <laughs> someone. I love the straight party. So one, I want to give a shout out to. Uh, um, to long-term continuing, you can continue to bring your idea up, and finally it'll happen. Patrice Arendt has um, introduced this bill, I think, s- since the mid-1800s, and um, finally it's getting some traction. It passed out of the House. This is so important, and here's why. Democracy is precious, and uh, Americans, we're lazy folks, and really, if you are so lazy that you can't punch Every individual ticket, that's too exhausting for you. The other thing straight party ticket voting does, although less so now in the age of digitization in our voting, is sometimes you forget there's some judges, judges at the at end. The bottom there's and some initiatives at the end. There's oops. a lot going on. And if you're that dedicated to your party as straight party voters are, then why don't you just take pride in pushing everyone? But I will say, as someone who would like people to take more of a considered look at the Democrat, I think oftentimes you the may what? have, y- that's what? right, uh, you may have liked the Democrat, you may have even appreciated some of the mailings they sent you, and then when it came time, you never even went to look at the individuals on the ballot. So I think that democracy is precious enough to spend an extra four minutes with you clicking through. I think this is a terrific bill. It's a simple fix. The Republicans don't want it because it's part of the gamesmanship of keeping people all clannish and tribal, but I say forget about that. Vote with your heart and maybe look at the individual. 
Is it really that all the Republicans? I've read Democrats, actually, the state of Utah, maybe the last election, more straight party ticketed voted. They vote more straight party. They're much more committed because if you're a Democrat in Utah, it's not a casual activity. You have have agreed to fight with everybody. So no doubt. (laughs) With everybody? Even yourselves? But no doubt more Democrats vote straight party. But I can say with a degree of confidence, their conviction is that they could also punch that ticket over and over and over and over. There's Mara selling for mediocrity. I, I would contend. I'm, I'm a little bit different on this. Um, I come from the perspective of I don't even know why we have R and D and C and L on the ballot. I think it should just be names. The party should be out doing their effort to try and rally folks to their slate of candidates. And we shouldn't have party affiliation on the ballot at all is where I come from. So I, I would I would venture that Patrice would support that amendment for you. If you want to wrangle some of uh, the Republican caucus to that, I think we'd all be fine with getting rid of the party system completely on the ballot, not parties in general, but on the ballot. And I think this I th- is a first step towards it. Yeah, then you have to do your homework, know who you're voting for. And I think the Ben McAdams of the world have maybe changed Utah a little bit. I hope Patrice gets this. This is her last time in the legislative session, right. so... Um, It'll be interesting to see how that ends up. We're almost out of time. Well, we really are out of time, but I want my favorite bill in here before we go. (laughs) Everybody's got to have their favorite. Utah Raptor State Park. I don't know why, but when I just heard that, I was like, yes, Jurassic Park in Moab. Like, what if we, like, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Breed some raptors. Jeff Goldblum coming out. Yeah. I'm pro Utah Raptor State Park. This is the best $10 million we're going to spend this year. It would be awesome, don't you think? I do. I know. And if we really could get a couple dinosaurs, we'd have to be careful. We've got cool arches and hoodoos down in that direction you want to be very careful with but we get a lot of visitors down there and having something other than crowded people on the trails then we could give them a day off where they could have like a little disney world in the desert but with dinosaurs no but with dinosaurs it's dinosaurs. one of the many things Play that, that jurassic so park well one of the key things i i also hope comes out of this is we can show the federal government how well we can run our state parks yeah so they can give us more ability to run the national parks that are in Utah. Which they're doing a tremendous job and don't need our help on, so hey. Oh, yeah, when go. they shut down and other things like that, they're doing fantastic. I didn't even so, read the know, bill. I just like the sound of it, so I was like, yes. No, yeah. this is awesome. This is a good thing. <laughs> all right, well, I'm glad that we can all agree on that at the very least. So thanks so much for joining us for Take Two. It was an impeachment-free week. Thanks for being with us, and we'll be back next week. Tell your friends about us, subscribe, and we'll be back next Friday. Thank you.